But listen, you only get saved once. Jesus Christ doesn't come in your heart and out of your heart, and in your heart and out, and in and out like a yo-yo. He comes in to stay. But what if I sin? Don't you think Jesus knows what tomorrow holds? He knows all about you, and yet he says, I'll come in anyhow. It seems the, the overall theme today, this morning, is on love. And I just want to throw out a little reminder for um, the husbands. Tomorrow is Valentine's. Some husbands aren't going to figure that out until Tuesday. So just a little uh, forewarning there, guys. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not just wives that need, you know, a flower and a, a hug. Uh, moms do. And uh, maybe, I wonder, maybe husbands might need a little something as well in there. Yeah. Better play it on the safe side and just love everyone, Okay but tomorrow's the day. You know something? We sort of celebrate Valentine's once a year. Hmm? But I think that for God, every day for Him is like Valentine's because it's true, it's true. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And that is a very deep thought. There's nothing shallow about that. The God who made us is the same God who loves us. And so today, uh, being World Nation Sunday, we're going to take a look, a little closer look, at John 3.16, and we're going to see God's amazing love. So let's have a word of prayer before we continue. Dear loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of the Bible, but particularly today, the John 3.16 verse. Help us to appreciate it to appreciate you even more because of it. Now, Lord, have thine own way and speak to our hearts as you see fit. If there be even one here today who has not yet understood how to be born again, how to be saved, help them. Help them to see it. It's so simple, really. Just like your love is so simple. Whosoever will may come. Please bless all those that are watching online. And truly, we wish they were here. And so, Father, speak with us and lead and guide in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John 3.16 has been called the most well-known verse in the whole Bible. Now, I couldn't tell you if that's true or not, but I do know that a lot of people, they seem to know John 3.16. And I think that's a good thing. Someone once called John 3.16 God's love song to mankind. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. God does have an amazing love for us. Even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. In Psalm 60, I'm sorry, 86, verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Back in 1840, 
a young man was born by the name of Henry Moorhouse. Now, Henry, by the time he was 16 years of age, he was a real crummy, creepy kind of a kid. He had become a gambler, uh, a thief, a gang leader. He carried a gun around in his pocket to use on himself in case the uh, occasion ever, you know, they cornered him or something. But three years later, he was sitting in a revival and Henry gave himself to the Lord Jesus. He finally decided, here I am, 19, I've made nothing but a mess of my life. Lord Jesus, would you forgive my sin? Come into my heart and be my Savior. Isn't that interesting? Because that was about exactly my, my story too when I received the Lord uh, when I was about 19 years of age. Well, um, Henry soon heard preaching, he was soon heard preaching the gospel. Henry, the gambler and the thief and the gang leader and the gun-toting bad guy, he was now preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel with all his heart. And his favorite text was John 3.16. One day in Ireland, because he lived over in the UK, in 1867... By the way, what else happened in 1867? Anyone know? Canada became a... A what? Boy, there's silence in the house today. Canada became a nation. We had, the, you know, our official... Never mind. Well, in 1867, he happened to, to meet D.L. Moody. Now, D.L. Moody was a phenomenal preacher of the gospel. And D.L. Moody was only three years older than Moorhouse at this time. And he sat under Moody's preaching and he loved it and he went up to Mr. Moody after the meeting and he had the nerve to invite himself to America, to his church one day and maybe preach for him. And uh, Moody said, well, sure, if you're ever in America. Well, Moorhouse jumped on a boat and went to America. Went right to Chicago. And uh, when Moody returned home, he learned that Moorhouse had showed up and started preaching and was drawing big crowds of people. His wife said to him, he has preached two sermons from John 3.16 and I think you'll like him, uh, although he preached a little different from what you do. Now, D.L. Moody had won a lot of people to the Lord, but he was more disposed to tell the sinner of what's waiting for him, the doom and gloom in hell after they died. And so here was Moorhouse preaching about the love of God. And so... Um, his wife says, I think you're going to like his, his preaching. It's different from you. Well, how is that? She said, well, he tells sinners that God loves them. Now, Moody really wasn't quite uh, sure about this method. But that evening, he went, of course, and heard Moorhouse preach. Young Moorhouse stood up in the pulpit and said, if you will turn to the third chapter of John and the 16th verse, you will find my text. Moody later recalled that Moorhouse preached an extraordinary sermon from that verse. Moody said, I never knew up to that time that God loved us that much. The heart, this heart of mine, he said, began to thaw out and I could not keep back the tears. It was like good news from a far country. I just drank it in. For seven nights in a row, Henry Moorhouse preached each night a different sermon out of John 3.16. 
it had a life-changing effect on D.L. Moody. Moody said, I have never forgotten those nights. I have preached a different gospel since, and I have had more power with God and man since then. Sadly, just a few years later, in 1880, Moorehouse fell ill, and he's only about 40 years of age. That's not old. Remember that. Uh, and he was on his deathbed, and he looked up to his friends, and he said, if it were the Lord's will to raise me up again, I think I should like to preach on the text, God so loved the world. He went home to be with the Lord, and on his gravestone they put John 3.16. Someone has called John 3.16 the gospel of Jesus Christ in miniature. And I think that that's a fairly accurate statement. Now, I'd like you to look at it there. I hope your Bible is open to John 3.16. I'm going to, to quickly go through the, the different parts of this verse, and I want you to see how beautiful this verse is. I, I didn't come up with this outline, but uh, I don't know who did, but I, I got it somewhere many years ago, and I've hung on to it. Because I think it helps us to understand. Now, John chapter 3, verse 16. Point number one, we have a sacred person. A sacred person for God. God is that sacred person. God is the creator of this world, this universe. He is the author of all life forms that exist. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, it also says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God is the creator. God is also the sustainer. He sustains life. Genesis chapter 2, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Everything living is living because God sustains life. Number three, God is the supreme being. He's a creator. He's a sustainer. He's the supreme being before whom everyone one day must stand and give account. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Folks, there is an appointment for you and I we will stand before Jesus Christ one day. And if we are born again, we will stand before Him as His redeemed, and He will search our lives and look for what He can reward. If we are not part of the family of God, we're not redeemed, we will stand later one day in His presence, only this time, instead of being our Redeemer, He'll be our judge. And our whole life will be played out before Him on a big screen for all the world to see. Every dark thing we've ever done. And we'll be judged and cast into the lake of fire. And so, the first thing, point number one, is we have a sacred person, and that's God. Point number two, we have a strong passion. In verse 16, for God so loved. It's not just loved, it's so loved. There's a, there's a passion here, an emphasis. God is very passionate about the people He has created. People everywhere. We only went through about 25 different nations of the world. There's actually over 200 different nations of the world. 
The people of the world are, are totaling just about 8 billion people. That's a lot of people. 8 billion people. God knows every single one of them. He, he knew when they were first conceived. He knew a, as they were born. He knew as they grew up. He knew where they, they are today. Even though some people try to hide and run, God knows exactly where they are. Now that can be a, a comforting thought or it can be a scary thought depending on the motives of, of a person's heart. But God is very passionate. It's true. God actually really does love you. That is the absolute truth of God. 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, God is love. Now there's a humorous story many years ago about a little girl who, who played that game uh, where you pick a petal off a daisy and say, he loves me, you know, and he loves me not. How many know that game? Raise your hand. Okay, now I'm just curious, but how many have never heard of that before? Raise your hand. You've never heard of the he loves me, he loves me not? Wow, then some of you didn't raise your hand the first time, did you? You made me guess. Well, this little girl came running in one day and, and sobbing and crying and threw her arms around her mother. And her mother says, Honey, sweetheart, what's wrong? What happened? Are you hurt? And between, you know, sort of responses and gasps and tears, she says, No. He says, But, but he doesn't love me. He says, Who doesn't love you? God. God doesn't love me. How do you know that? Be because I proved him with a daisy. And so the very last petal she must have pulled off, the daisy was, he loves me not. And here she was all upset because she didn't think that God loved her. Well, listen, there's a lot of people in the world that don't think God loves them. They think they've committed too much sin. They think they've committed real horrible sin. They think they've committed unpardonable sin. But I have news for each and every one of us that God so loved God is a God of love. There's a far better way to know that God loves you. John 3.16. Point number one, we have a sacred person, God. Point number two, a strong passion, so loved. Point number three, a sinful people, the world. Now folks, let's be honest. We're not as perfect as we wish we were. That's putting it nice, isn't it? That's putting it mild. The truth is, all the world stands guilty before God. We've committed sin. Some people have committed, I don't know, the variety of sin that, that the human mind can, can come up with. Others haven't committed as much sin. But we've all done it. We've all committed sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's not just physical death. Death means separation. Physical death is where the soul separates from the body. There's separation. Then the body doesn't move anymore. They're not in the body. The soul is gone. There's that separation. And so we, we have a funeral service. and We put the body in the, in the ground. Spiritual separation, spiritual death is the separation between the soul and God. So you've got a, a physical death, you've got a spiritual death. A bullet, an arrow, a spear, and a pin. Which one 
is able to pop an inflated balloon? Is it the bullet? Is it the arrow? Is it the spear? Or is it the pin? Which one can pop the balloon? You tell me. All of them. Absolutely right. And whether you use a bullet or whether you use a pin, your balloon is popped. It's popped. Folks, it only took one sin to get Adam and Eve excommunicated out of the Garden of Eden, right? It only took one sin to plunge all of future humanity into sin and depravity. I don't believe that Adam and Eve ever robbed a bank or ever, you know, murdered someone. Now their son did. But I don't think Adam and Eve did. You see, it doesn't matter whether you use a bullet or a spear or an arrow or a pin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even the tiniest of sins can disqualify us, just like the tiniest of pins can pop a balloon. That's why the Bible is true. All have sinned. Let's be honest. I'm a sinner. You are a sinner. All of God's creatures, all of God's people have committed sin. Well, we have a sacred person. That's God. We have a strong passion that's so loved and we have a sinful people, that's the world. Now all that, that third one doesn't sound so good, but hang in there. We have number four, a striking proof that he gave his only begotten son. He really did. Years ago there's a story of a woman who uh, got too close to Christmas and she had 49 friends so she quickly ran to the store and bought a box of 50 cards. And really without reading them, she just kind of put them in the envelopes and addressed them and sent them all off. Well, a couple days later she sat down, she, she saw the last card, oh, the 50th card. They were all the same. So she picked up the card and decided she, she would read it. And she opened up the card and it said this inside. This card is just to say a little gift is on its way. Well, can you imagine 49 people wondering why they never received any gift from her? Did you know that there are a lot of people in the world who don't think God has ever done anything for them? Did you know that? There are a lot of people who would look at you and say, Oh yeah, what's God done for me? Hello, they are living proof of the sustainability of God and the goodness of God. Do you have food to eat? Clothes to wear? Ah, Probably you have a house to live in. Some dwelling place. Maybe you've got family. How many here never had a mother or father? Raise your hand. I'd like to see. I'd like to know. If you never had a mother or father, not one. Well, of course. You get the idea? God is a God of love and tenderness and mercy. Jesus himself came down from heaven and told us. And he said that God makes the sun and the rain, you know, to to shine and to fall upon the just and the unjust. Now, that means a lot to a farmer, sun and rain. That's how we grow the crops. You need them both. And if God only gave the sun and only gave the rain to the righteous farmer, I think that the world would starve to death. God is a God of love and caring and mercy and He gives good gifts. I do believe He he gives even some better gifts to His own children. 
But God, will, no one will ever be able to stand before God and point a finger and say, you never loved me, you never did anything for me. No one. Because there is so much evident proof of the love and wonderful uh, mercy of God. But the greatest evidence that God loves you is John 3.16. He gave. He gave you a very special gift. He gave you His Son to die. Now whether you, you lived 2,000 years ago or whether you live today, that gift is still bona fide. This is the real proof that God loves us, is that He gave His only begotten Son. Love and giving always go together. Two people who love each other, they're going to give things to each other. Now, we've had a sacred person, God, a strong passion, so loved, a sinful people, the world, a striking proof that He gave His only begotten Son. Now we have a simple plan, that whosoever believeth in Him. The truth is, anyone can become part of God's family. Not everyone believes that. There are people out there, even some Christian people, that don't believe that whosoever will may come. They qualify it, they limit it to a certain select group only. I don't believe that. I believe when Jesus died, He died for the sin of the whole world. No one will be able to stand at Judgment Day and point at Jesus and say, you never died for me. If you had of, sure I would have come to know you. You can't throw me into hell. You never died for me. Jesus will show irrefutable proof His blood was shed for the entire world. Now how many people is that since the day of Adam until the very last person ever born? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Would it be maybe 15 billion people? Would it be more? Would it be less? Only God knows. But God is big enough and wise enough and strong enough and able enough to shed His blood for all mankind. God is not a partial, partial God. A God of partialities. Anyone can be saved. So if someone is not saved and ends up in hell, it's not God's fault because He provided the remedy, the cure. Whosoever believeth in Him. Back in 1893, an author by the name of William Walsh wrote a book about Napoleon Bonaparte. And the book was entitled Bonaparte, sorry, Napoleon's Marshals. He had several marshals that worked for him in the military. This one particular story in the book, it was about one of his marshals who was devoted fanatically to Napoleon and literally worshipped the ground Napoleon walked on. He was, he was such a fanatic for Napoleon. During the Second World War, there were some people like that fanatically devoted to Hitler. And whatever Hitler said or wanted, it was like, it was like God speaking to them. And so... This man, this marshal, fanatically devoted to Napoleon, got hit by a bullet in a war. And he was dying. And he was in his tent. And he said, call Napoleon, call Napoleon. And finally Napoleon came in, stood in the door of the tent. And the marshal looked up at him and smiled and said, Napoleon, he said, I'm dying. He said, save me, save me, Napoleon, save me. Napoleon reportedly just shook his head and turned and left the tent, and the marshal died. The truth is, Napoleon had no power to save. 
Napoleon could not do it. He couldn't fulfill a man's request. There are those, I'm sure, who are trusting in St. Peter to get them to heaven. They're trusting in their prayers to Mary to, to get them to heaven. And I want to say today that as wonderful as those people are, Peter and Mary and any of the other apostles, they have no power to save. They have no power to save. Some people are trusting in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can't get anyone to heaven. All the Ten Commandments do is point out our sin, our need of a Savior. Only Jesus can save. Only Him, no one else. Jesus saves. Whosoever believeth in Him. That means to believe in Jesus. So, we're almost done here. We've got a simple plan. We've got a sure pledge as well. So, let's look at it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, and here's point number six, the sure pledge, should not perish. To perish means to die and end up in hell. God only is the one who makes the rules of salvation. If God said you want to get to heaven, here's all you got to do. Uh, jump six feet. If that's how God did it, then that's what we would do. If God said you want to get to heaven, here's what you do. You light these candles, you get baptized, and you can get into heaven. If that's what God said, that's what we would do. But that's not what God said. God said we need to believe, put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. That means repenting of our sin and, and receiving Him as Lord and Savior. And if we do that, God says we will never perish. If anyone puts their faith in Jesus Christ and truly recognizes their, their hell deserving sinful nature, condition, they repent of their sin, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that means calling out to Him for forgiveness and salvation, God's pledge is they will never go to hell. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present tense, H-A-T-H, present tense, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's the bona fide promise of Almighty God. It's a sure pledge. And that brings us to point number seven, is a super possession. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. By the way, time out here. There's a difference between will and shall. I want you to know that. They're not the same word. We don't use them just for variety's sake. Will, uh, in this case it would be um, will not perish, but it doesn't say that. It says should not perish. Say, what's the difference between will and shall? The difference is this. Will is something that you want. It may be out of your grasp, out of your reach. Shall is a bona fide thing. It's determined. The Ten Commandments. Thou wilt not. Is that what it says? Thou what? Thou shalt not. A definite thing. And when God says, should not perish, God knows what He's talking about. And so we come to this amazing superpossession. But have everlasting life. Imagine that. Everlasting life. The quality that, of life that God enjoys in heaven. 
can be ours. Everlasting life doesn't start the moment you die. It starts the moment Jesus Christ comes into your heart. That's when everlasting life starts. That's why you can be saved and know you're saved and never doubt it again. Some people who receive Christ, they always seem to have doubts. Well, was I sincere enough? Uh, Did I repent enough? I I tried, but they've always got doubts and worries and fears that, oh, maybe when the time comes, I won't make it. I'd better get on my knees and repent again. Repentance is good. It does have a place in our lives. But listen, you only get saved once. Jesus Christ doesn't come in your heart and out of your heart. and In your heart and out. And in and out like a yo-yo. He comes in to stay. But what if I sin? Don't you think Jesus knows what tomorrow holds? He knows all about you. And yet He says, I'll come in anyhow. When I married my wife, I knew... I thought I knew all there was to know about her, but after 41 years of marriage, I've learned a couple more things about her. Right? But when I got married, and I stood there that day, you know, in my tuxedo, and I made my vows and pledges, we exchanged rings, I took her for better or for worse, richer or for poorer, right? That's how I took her. That's how I wanted her. Just the way she is. And she took me the same way. And by the way, she learned a few things about me after the deal was done. Things I was afraid she might find out before and then she wouldn't want to marry me. Well, she eventually found them out, but she still loved me. Now here's the point. Jesus knows all about your life tomorrow and the next day and the next week. And yet still, he says, I'll come in. I'll come in and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that wonderful? We have a super possession and that's eternal life. I'm telling you all these stories that happened in the 1800s. I don't know why, but i got another one for you. In the late 1800s, they had this big ex- exposition in Chicago, like a World's Fair. And they built the biggest, the most elaborate water fountain that anyone had ever seen. And it soon became a meeting place. People would say, I'll meet you at the fountain. Ah, and they knew exactly what they were talking about. Well, back in those days, there was a famous hymn writer. We have some of his hymns in our hymn book today. His name was Philip Bliss, B-L-I-S-S. And Philip Bliss was a godly man, loved the Lord. He worked with D.L. Moody, and he knew all of those contemporaries, and he wrote some amazing hymns. Well, he heard someone once say, will you meet me at the fountain? And it just clicked. It inspired him. He wrote a hymn, will you meet me at the fountain? And of course, he was referring to like a big fountain up in heaven. And there is a fountain in heaven. And it's filled with the blood of Jesus. And so the hymn speaks of a saved person talking to an unsaved person saying, will you meet me at the fountain? And that's a good question for every one of us here or watching online. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Will you meet us at the fountain? John 3.16 I think maybe it is the most well-known Bible verse. A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine in Oregon sent me this story yesterday. He sends me these little stories and they're really good. And I want to read this one to you. Many years ago, Kellogg's cornflakes started losing popularity. They started losing money. 
And the newer, more popular brands of cereal were starting to take the place on the shelves and Kellogg's, instead of being up where the eye can see it and the hand can reach it, they started moving Kellogg's cornflakes down lower on the shelves. And so this was a major concern. So the marketing people at Kellogg's got together and they came up with a very innovative marketing idea. And this idea was very simple. They started advertising, taste it again for the first time. Kellogg's cornflakes, taste it again for the first time. So the Kellogg's cornflakes was something that had been around since like 1900, something like that. It been a long time. People knew it, but they started setting it aside. They went for newer things. And Kellogg simply said, taste it again for the first time. You know, sometimes husbands and wives ought to do that with their love affair. Husbands and wives ought to love each other. And maybe it's been a few years since you've been married. Well, why don't you taste the love you had for each other again for the first time? And when it comes here to John 3.16, maybe we need to taste John 3.16 again for the first time. Even though we've known it for many years, maybe we need to taste. You see, the psalmist says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Very true, I think. Let's all be challenged to taste the love of God today. My Christian friend, my brother, my sister, do you realize the love God has for you? Why don't you spend a moment in prayer this morning? We're just about done here. I want to invite you to come to our altar. We call it an old-fashioned altar. Where you can come, take a minute, no one will disturb you. You can get on your knees. You can talk to God. And you can thank Him again for the great love wherewith He loved you. And saved you. And made your soul clean in the blood of Jesus. Made you fit for heaven. And if you're here today, and you're not sure about heaven... You can be. You just have to reach out by faith to Jesus Christ. Well, would you stand to your feet? Please, we'll have a moment of prayer and then we'd like to have a little invitation and we'd like to invite you to come. You know, last Sunday was a precious day for us as a church. It was our consecration Sunday. And so many, many, many of us last Sunday came forward and just gave ourselves to the Lord again. Well, I remind you, tomorrow is Valentine's, but why can't we have Valentine's with God today? Why can't we come and tell Him how much we love Him, how much we appreciate Him? And if you're not sure if you're part of God's family, yeah, that's what you need to pray about, is, Lord, how can I be sure? So, I'm going to pray. Let's all close our eyes, please, and bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.